Welcome back to another installment of The Conspiracy Skeptic. I'm your Conspiracy Skeptic, Carl Mamer, and with me today is my special guest. Well, all my guests are special. Uh, is uh, Tristan Swale of uh, the Righteous Indignation podcast. Hey, Tristan. Hello. Uh, you know, so, I have so many R po- podcasts that begin with R in my sort of list, like Righteous Indignation, Reality Check, Rationally Speaking. It's uh, the... Our, our, our names for podcasting are very popular these days. <laughs> I really don't know what to say to that. <laughs> All right. Well, so, Tristan, you, you, so you do a podcast called Reality Check. We, we, had, uh, we had one of your co-hosts, uh, uh, Haley. Righteous Indignation. Sorry, yeah, right. Sorry, right. Just saying that it's nine o'clock your time. Yeah, yeah it is nine a.m. I'm recording this nine a.m. your time because you're in some wacky time zone that's not the normal time zone. Where where are you? British summertime. Uh, okay, so you're Which you're. Is, I think is GMT plus one. Okay. I think. I'm uh, wrong. Uh, oh, okay. So it's, yeah, it's about a five hour difference between EST and uh, and uh, so the the motherland time, right? That's right. Right. Okay. Sorry. Right. So your 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 podcast is uh, righteous indignation. Did I call you reality check? Yeah. Oh, those are, those are some fine Canadian chaps. Reality check. Do do I do I sound do I sound British when I say chaps? Chaps slightly. You have to say chaps. Chops. Chops. All right, close enough. All right, so uh, all right, so I, I had one of your uh, one of your co-hosts on many moons ago, H- Haley Stevens, and she did the uh, Princess Diana conspiracy. And now you are on. Uh, you're on to do. Uh, well, let's talk about what you're on to do just in, in a little bit. Let's let's get some uh, some biographical information about you. So, uh, uh, how long have you been doing your podcast? What's your podcast about? And the podcast started in May of 2009, and it's a a general sceptical show, really, but there's a big focus on irreverence and that we don't take ourselves too seriously, and we look at the weekly news, like most sceptical podcasts do. Um, We've been accused of maybe perhaps being a little bit scathing from time to time, but I think, on the whole, I think we're pretty balanced, and we're a lot more polite compared to presenters to certain other shows I can mention. Yeah, for sure. I mean, at least, you know, you guys always sound sort of very polite. You, you, you're you sort of noted for having on, and this term is now banned on your podcast, isn't it? Woo, woo, woo guests. I did a talk in the week and I said woo, and I said batshit crazy as well, I think, <laughs> a couple of times. But that was more in regard to the belief as opposed to the person. So, I mean, I used to be very much a believer myself, so I, I take the opinion that, it's actually patronizing and terrible, but I think skeptical thought can strike people at times when they're not expecting it. And everybody is capable of skepticism. It's just some people hold beliefs which are sacred cows. Right, okay. And those beliefs which are woo and batshit insane. Okay. And completely out there wacky crazy. Right. Oh, yeah, that, that's, an interesting, that's an interesting point that, you know, people can. People believe in woo, people aren't woo people or, or something then. That's right, yeah. Oh, okay. All right. So yeah. So you guys tend uh, you have on a lot, or at least more than other podcasts have a lot of uh, sort of guests who believe in what we would 
term woo and and you, you always seem sort of very polite and you know you 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 don't sort of go out of your way to pin them to the wall and but but you do get in your you know your hard hitting questions and stuff like that it's i i always find it's a good balance yeah that's what we deliberately try to do i mean you hear some people do believe in some very odd things sometimes on other shows and in the media in general and they do get a bit of a hard time they can be ridiculed but we try and treat other people as human beings really right yeah treat others we'd like to be treated ourselves you, you tend to like, you know, you'll sort of ask your hard-hitting question, and they'll sort of give their answer, which is usually kind of, you know, uh, evasive. But you know, you don't then kind of follow it up with like, well, you know, you know, this you're committing this fallacy and this fallacy. You you kind of let the listener sort of go. You assume the listener knows what the problem is with their answer. <laughs> yeah, we do that, and sometimes we have got criticism for it. There seem to be two camps. Yeah. There's one that says you should be screwing into the wall more, and the other says, well, you're not really explaining why they're wrong. So we we try and do our best there, really. So it's how we put the questions as well. All right. Okay. And uh, sorry. So your your one of your co-hosts is is Haley Stevens, and, and you, you have yeah. kind of you have like another co-host, or you kind of have another co-host, and then sort of a almost like a rotating uh, cast of characters. Yeah, we got Michael Marshall from Nerdy Skeptic Society, who I view very much as one of Britain's upcoming skeptical superstars. Uh, we originally got him on the show because he confronted a medium called Joe Power at a book signing session in Liverpool. Um, Mr. Power accused him of being a paedophile. Um, the, story, the story was too good not to get Marsh's point of view on, so we invited him on one week, and he just sort of stuck around from there. Um, <laughs> We've also had Gavin Schofield from Greater Manchester Skeptics on and a mysterious Irish fellow who goes by the name of Dr. T. And I met Dr. T for the very first time this week. Oh, and is he, does he kind of like wear a mask? No, he doesn't. Oh. He, he didn't look at all like what I was expecting him to. I was expecting some sort of six foot two handsome chap. And instead what I saw was about a five foot three rather withered sort of bloke. So that it, prematurely aged really no no yeah i i've I've noticed this like on my podcast i was telling people who met me at tam to sort of say you know uh i I thought you'd be taller instead of sort of going oh i listened to your show and it's you know i like the show or whatever to kind of just go hey you know i thought you'd be taller because I, i i've i've tended to find that that sometimes if people come to me just through my writing they they go wow i thought you'd be taller and they didn't quite understand what they meant by that, uh, other, other than uh, it maybe it was some a slight insult, but uh, but then when I went to when I went to Tam, I'm, I'm meeting all these you know all my skeptical heroes like you know Michael Shermer and stuff like that, and I'm like, oh my god, I thought these people would be taller, <laughs> you know. <laughs> not, 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 not to say I'm like Michael Shermer, you know, I'm on that level or you know have that effect on the world, but I'm like, oh, oh okay, maybe you know. You know, I affect people at a six-foot level where, you know, I don't know. I think we all have images in our mind yes. of what people are going to be like, and sometimes the illusion gets shattered. Uh, when I did a talk up in Manchester, we recorded our first live version of the show. Uh, the organiser, Janice Benyon, I expected her to be about five foot one, really <laughs> short. Um, she's taller than me. So. Well, <laughs> First thing I said to her, I was like, oh, you're a lot taller than I expected. 
<laughs> which, which sort of makes me think I should add to my Korean questions. I should add a height question. So well, let me ask you the Korean questions. Uh, but let me start off. At, well, how, how tall are you, if, if you don't mind answering? Five foot ten. Five foot ten. Okay, so you're 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 you're, you're getting up there. You're you're in the strapping range, and uh, well, at least someone who's five seven. But uh, all right. So uh, how how old are you? Ah, uh, good question. Um, Thirty five. Oh, okay, and, and and what do you do? I'm a school teacher, believe it or not. Very nice. Okay. Elementary, and, as you would say, on the side of the Atlantic. Okay. What, what do you call it there? Grade school. Uh, we call it primary school. Oh, primary school. Okay, and uh, are you married? I am, yeah. Very nice. And do you have children? I've got one son called Habby. Call, called Habby? Habby. Habby. Yeah. A- oh, okay. That's a, that's H-A-B-I-E. A- oh, very nice. Okay. All right, cool. So you, <laughs> in, in Korean culture, I mean, you are right. You are right at the top of uh, of sort of the, you know, the, the hierarchy. You are the most res- you're the most respectable person we've ever had on, on this podcast, I think. Thank you very much. According to Korean rules. That's all right. I can play by those any day. All right, good. All right, and uh, let's see. All right, so um, okay. So, what is what is your Christian or Tristan? What is your favorite conspiracy? My favorite conspiracy. Oh, there are lots and lots and lots. Yeah. But today, I've opted to go for the crop circle conspiracy. Good. Okay. Uh, a subject you've covered. You've covered a number of times, I think, on on um, on your podcast. Oh, yes. It's certainly a pet subject of mine. We've had skeptics on the show. We've had somebody who's made the circles himself, a fellow called Tim Matthews, who I'm going to look at in a short while. Very interesting fellow. And we've also had people on who are very much believers in that the crop circles are made by extraterrestrial visitors. Okay. And... uh to get sorry to get actually back to your podcast a little bit. I mean, you've you've kind of gone right almost into the field, right? Well, didn't one podcast you kind of go right into the field and talk to a kind of a you know kind of a, a circle believer? Well, I went into a field where there was a crop circle, and I scoured the surrounding hills trying to find some more. And everybody I approached with the full track recorder and a microphone ran a mile. So <laughs> I went to a field research centre called the Silent Circle which is run by a chap called Charles Mallet. Um, and it's more like a cafe, <laughs> selling a few posters and things like that. And um, they seem to get coach tours in from Norway and from Holland. Wow. And everybody goes in there and has got a huge map up on the wall of all the latest crop formations. And so there were a few volunteers working there. So I approached one of the volunteers and I approached Charlie as well. And it was quite an interesting interview with both of them. Okay, cool. And, and that's sort of a, another interesting thing about your podcast is, uh, I mean, not necessarily your podcast, but you, you, you guys as skeptics that, you know, I mean, I don't really do a lot of skeptical activism. I, I'm pretty much armchair. I, I'm trying to organize a skeptic camp in Toronto, but I don't know, that, that, more about that later. But, you know, you, you, you and Haley and, and, and Marsh, uh, you know, you get right out into the field. You know, you go, sometimes you even give talks at, like, sort of true believer, uh, um, you know, pub nights or, you know, in, in their little you know, their little clubhouse basements and stuff like that. And, and of course, I mean, Marsh with his, you know, 1023, which is almost, has almost single-handedly changed, you know, British medicine. I mean, you, you, you guys actually do, do stuff. Yeah, we try to. Marsh especially. I mean, myself and Haley, we are more 
restricted really uh, just because people we know where we're based sort of both of us live out in the middle of nowhere really whereas Liverpool's a major city uh, what we do we go we talk at skeptics in the pub events so we preach to the converted as it were but from time to time we do go in the back garden of the believers yeah um, we like to stir it up a little bit I did a talk um, on the subject of UFOs and disinformation which isn't too far removed from what I'm going to be covering today okay. and by the time I've finished it's just a deathly silence. <laughs> and in the question and answer session, it wasn't go for my argument. It was a case of go for me. Right, yes. Yeah. You, you, they did sort of attack you a bit. They, they kind of misunderstood what you're saying about, about being a teacher. You're, you're, you were just sort of saying, <laughs> you know, well, I'm a teacher and I kind of encounter something like this. But they sort of thought you meant, well, I'm a teacher. Therefore, you know, I can't possibly be wrong about anything. Or Yeah, that's right. But the irony there is that if you look at a lot of UFO researchers and believers, they would consider a teacher to be a credible witness. Uh-huh. Very, very true. Well, they can't have it both ways, though. So, so crop circles, I mean, that phenomenon has, that's sort of a, isn't that basically a British kind of invention? It sort of started off in the UK? Yeah, it certainly started off in Britain. Uh, historically, there's a case in Hertfordshire uh, which is in the east of the country. And it was alleged that a farmer made a pact with the devil and that he would rather pay the devil near enough nothing to mow his field than employ a very costly labourer. And later that night, the devil apparently came into his field and cut his grass for him in the shape of a circle. What? All the crop circle believers have jumped on that as historical evidence. But there's a huge difference between the mown grass and what happens in contemporary crop circles because if you've got flattened crops which have got damage on them or they've been cut in a contemporary formation apparently that's a sign of a hoax <laughs> so what, what, so that that first crop circle what year was that oh pause there pause there <laughs> google google yeah hang on i mean off the top of your head if but but i mean it, devil and all that sort of stuff it almost sounds like it'd be like you know uh you know 1500s or something well it was in a pamphlet that was published in 1678 okay and it was called the mowing devil or strange news out of hertfordshire okay all right so yeah very kind of i don't know what 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 time period would you call that in uh british history the uh 17th century um i would <laughs> you put me on the spot now. Teacher. I always, my, I always get my centuries badly wrong. Let's see who was on the throne in 1678. Charles II of England was the king. Um, so this was after Oliver Cromwell had his Commonwealth set up. Okay. Um, and he disappeared and they wanted another king again, so they brought Charles back to England. See, being a teacher, I'm a complete know it all. I know everything. I'm brilliant. <laughs> I believe you. All right. All right. So, 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 mo- what about sort of the modern crop circle phenomenon? When did when did that start? Uh, it started in 1976. Okay. And by space aliens, of course. Well, fortunately, not. Uh. Ten years previously, there had been an English artist uh, called Doug Bauer who was living in Australia at the time, and there was a famous UFO case. Um, at a place called Tully in Queensland. Mm-hmm. And it's by a lagoon. And a chap thought he saw a flying saucer taking off from there. 
And he went down to the water's edge and he found a, a circle of flattened reeds. Never mind that there were seven or eight other circles of these flattened reeds around at the time. He proclaimed it must be the landing marks of a flying saucer. And Doug saw this and ten years later he befriended a chap uh, called Dave Chorley. Sorry, hang on, let me just make sure I got my name yet. He befriended a chap called Dave Chorley. And they were practical jokers, really. And a couple of old blokes living out in the countryside. They thought, yeah, let's go and have a bit of a laugh. And they were at a place called Cheesefoot Head, which is a natural amphitheatre in the county of Hampshire. <laughs> and one of them turned to the other and looked at him and said, what do you think would happen if we put one down there, meaning a saucer nest? And so a few nights later, they crept into the field got on their hands and knees with an iron bar from the fire escape of one of their studios and started rolling it around in a circle to flatten the corn. All right. And, uh, and so did people kind of immediately think UFO or how, how did that how did that play out in the public? Well, no, their first formations were completely unnoticed. <laughs> and so they decided that there were bigger, uh, bigger fish to fry and so they looked to the town called Warminster uh, in Wiltshire, which isn't too far from where Haley lives. Okay. Um, it's the same place where Haley did her talk last year um, at the Weird 09 uh, conference. Oh, uh, yes, okay. Um, and the town has a very close association with the UFO phenomenon in that people believe that the town had its own UFO, essentially. It was called The Thing, and it visited from time to time. And it caused lots of light phenomena, strange noises. And a local journalist called Arthur Shuttlewood claimed he was speaking to aliens there. And so Doug and Dave looked at this town. I think it was in 1980. And they made three formations in different fields. And the local press seized on it. And that's where it entered the public psyche. Okay, cool. All right. And, and, and they just sort of made a basic circle? Oh, yeah, just a simple circle. That's all the first crop circles were. Okay. Nice and straightforward. Two men in a field, rolling the bar around, and soon they could wind up. All right. So, but now, now these circles are, uh, they're, 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 they're a little bit more complicated. Oh, yeah. When Doug and Dave started to refine their methods of making circles, it made it a lot more accessible to other people. It made it a lot quicker as well. So they went from the iron bar to getting planks of wood drilling a hole at either end and threading rope through the holes and then knotting it. And they'd lift the board up, put one foot on it, bring it down, and they'd flatten the crop that way. All right. And is that still kind of the technique today? Or, I mean, or assuming they're not created by space aliens, but... Yeah, I would think so from reading books and from speaking to different people who have made them. That seems very much the case. And also the other viable piece of equipment seems to be a pole to have in the middle of the circle okay. to mark out your radius and from there your circumference um, and a tape measure as well right. so surveyor's tapes um, I think some of them use tape which goes up to about 300 foot in length you know when I, when I was at TAM uh, me and a, a fellow attendee uh, Daniel Hi, Daniel. He, I think he was a listener. Uh, he's from Alberta. We we jumped a cab and we went to some some pub off off site. And the you know the cabbie wanted to know you know what we were doing there and stuff like that. And and uh, Daniel was sort of telling him all about Tam. And he's like, oh, he started telling us about how he used to live in the Pacific Northwest. And you know, his him and his friend lived in this town, and they wanted to bring tourism to the town. So they sort of hatched a plan to sort of you know 
do some bunch of fake Bigfoot footprints all around the town and, you know, <laughs> kind of sort of bring in the, the tourists and stuff like that. And uh, But they eventually decided that it was much easier to just to sort of stage a, uh, you know, whoever catches the biggest fish wins $10,000. And, and and now the town is kind of known for that. And and they, they sort of abandoned the, uh, the the hoax idea. But, yeah, I mean, I mean, things like crop circles and stuff are, you know, and uh, Bigfoot and things like that. I mean, the they they can well be hoaxes with kind of a like a tourism, you know, a tourism goal in mind. But were were, were these were these original guys were they out for tourism or just you know they're just bored with their lives? They just did it for the fun, really. They just okay. enjoyed winding people up. Okay. I think since then though it's become a lot more serious, okay. and that there are people, there are circle makers out there. Um, a chap called John Lundberg, who's easily the best. Uh, he's responsible for a lot of the really complex pictograms which have appeared in recent years. Um, the band Corn, uh, their new video, the crop circles in that, that they were made by John Lundberg. So he gets commercial work as well. Okay. Now, now I'm sure from the uh, from the uh, the crop circle believers, uh, you, you you must hear all the time like, well, you know, no way could people make this kind of circle or no way could people make that kind of circle. Is that what they sort of claim? Like what is their evidence that, that circles are made by, you know, can't be made by humans. They must be made by space aliens or some unknown entity. Well, they're anomaly hunting in its purest form. Um, Nobody's ever seen a UFO make one of these things. Nobody's ever seen little green men in the field making these things. Although I tell a lie there. Okay. Because there is a chap called Andrew Perker, who lives very close to me, who's one of Britain's leading crop circle researchers at the moment. Who certainly his name seems to be around on the internet a lot, and he claims to have captured proof that there are little green men inside circles. <laughs> so if you head off to his website at cropcirclewisdom.com, you'll be able to see it there. Oh, and, and um, what's it look like? So what does what's it look like? Does it look like little green men? It just looks like an aberration. <laughs> honestly, in so, photograph, it's <laughs> so your your classic blob squatch, basically. Yeah. Of course, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he also staged something last year where there's a photo of him. We covered it on the podcast. There's a photo of him in the middle of a crop circle with his arm up, and it looks like there's a white craft of some sort, sort of not far above his hand, which is quite small. Um, I don't know how true it is, but from what I've read, there actually was a blimp in the sky at that time. <laughs> so, and I've got that in quite a reliable authority. I won't say who or where that's come from, but I have seen that mentioned on a couple of websites as well, including Crop Circle Connector. So, <laughs> draw your own conclusion from that. All right, good. And, and like some of these anomalies, sometimes you hear like, you know, the Crop Circle, what do they, what do they call themselves, serialologists or something? or. Yeah, seriologists is what they call themselves. Okay. But I think they take themselves a little bit too seriously. Um, they tend to be known not as blues, but as croppies. Croppy. They don't like that, but it's meant tongue-in-cheek and with good humour. All right, well, let's go croppies. It's much easier to say at 9 a.m. than seriologists. Uh, so the, the croppies, uh, like, like sometimes you hear the croppies say things like, um, oh, you know, we've, you know, we've tested the, the wheat and it has these, you know, incredible properties, or we've we've tested the, you know, the dirt, and it has these incredible properties, and and uh, and I always wonder, like, when they when they claim that, you know, did they walk sort of fifty meters 
outside of the circle and then test the wheat and test the dirt and to see if it has those properties. So what, uh, like, like what's, what's the deal behind, behind that? You fit the nail on the head there. What they'll do, they'll go and take a soil sample from outside the formation, and then they'll go and take one from inside the formation, and then they look for anomalies between the two. Most anomaly hunting is done by a group called BLT, or Burke, Lieben, Good and Talbot. I think it's just Nancy Talbot who runs it now. Um, they've come up with a list of things which are unique to alien crop circles. Mm. Never mind that they've got no evidence that these crop circles have been made by aliens in the first place. Um, it's things like there might be a higher concentration of iron in a general crop circle. Uh, when we interviewed Tim Matthews, who was a circle maker last year on the show, he said that one of the things he's aware of teams doing is actually scattering iron filings in the formation right. just to throw the, um, the crop is off the scent. And they've got lots of other ideas as well that... If there's any trampling inside the formation, then it's man-made. And that if the crop is flattened, um, then it's genuine. Okay, so there's no breakage, it's genuine. And also, there's something called phototropsis, I think it is, that when a plant has been flattened, it will attempt to realign itself to the sun. And it bends upwards from what are called nodes along the stalk. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, these elongate and they bend as it realigns itself. Apparently, they're the sign of a genuine crop circle as well. <laughs> and, and so, I mean, obviously, they, they never... They, they don't get any of these findings peer-reviewed or anything like that. They just sort of go, well, isn't that strange? They're for UFOs. But they, they never then take it to, um, you know, to, like, a, a you know, scientific peers and go, is this, is this normal? Or, you know, do they do anything? I mean, leaving good, he was a biologist, so that's all the proof they need. It's good enough. Oh, okay. So, kind of argument from authority, then they. Oh, yeah. Right. Okay. Why do Uh, they need peer review? And they can publish it all in house, or in little tiny journals made by the crop circle research groups. Now, I think a lot of these crop circle makers, the you know, I mean, don't they sort of consider that like there's an active hoaxing community out there? That I mean, there are people that just want to sort of make really interesting designs and sort of, you know. you know, compete with the Joneses across the road and, and sort of go, okay, you know, you can do that in a night with four people. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to see you win better. But there, there have to be people out there that, that are actually just sort of, I like your expression, winding people up. They're, they're really trying to wind up the, the, the crappies. And so, so they, the, the crappies ever consider like they're going to, the, the, that the hoaxers are going to read their literature and go, okay, well, these are the features of, uh, you know, of a crops, you know, of a real crop circle. So we will, you know, we will just leave those iron filings, or you know, scrape the radium off of a, you know, a digital watch or something like that, and you know, th- things like that. I mean, do, do they ever consider that? Well, the, very much so from the circle makers. Yes, there's something of a game of cat and mouse which is going on, which has been going on for years and years and years, where they're doing just that. They look at what constitutes an authentic formation what they think would be impossible and then they try and take it on to that step so they're constantly bettering themselves all the time oh okay all right and uh so you know when, when you've sort of talked to these crop circle people have you uh have you ever um i mean what do they say when you sort of present them with this kind of with this kind of sort of line of reasoning you mean the believers yeah yeah sort of the believers you say you know well 
do you ever say like, look, you know, do you ever consider just being hoaxed and they know what you're looking for? So they, they, they sort of seed the field with what evidence for you to find. Well, a week ago today, they were recording, a formation appeared in a field not far from the place where I work. So one evening, I scuttled off down there to have a look, and I went into the formation, and I met a chap in there who was very much of the opinion that it was made by E.T., and he got, he got a bit angry when I put a few ideas to him. Basically, oh. he wasn't interested in anything I had to say. He made his mind up, and he got quite animated, he got quite threatening, and then calm down he walked off and just ignored me and pretended <laughs> I wasn't there I mean we've, we've desperately tried to get other croppies to come on the podcast and either they don't respond to emails or they just run a mile but they're not really interested in engaging with the sceptic to be honest yeah, okay. I mean, it's a shame really because I think if they were to do that then they would probably understand a lot more where we come from Right, but, right. Well, I suppose we're viewed as party poopers and as oh. spoilers, so, you know, they don't want us to, to trample through their temporary temples, do they? Yeah. And uh, so crop circles, I mean, it seems kind of a sort of born in Britain kind of uh, uh, woo, but it sort of expanded out to uh, around the world. I remember even, even my hometown, Windsor, sort of out in the county, you know, there was a crop circle. And, uh, I mean, it always seems to me that crop circles, uh, if you have a school with a really good engineering program, you know, <laughs> there's crop circles uh, very close within a certain range of that school. I mean, uh, you know, my, my, my sort of line is never sort of underestimate what, you know, four slightly drunk uh, second year university engineering sort of students can accomplish in a night, you know. But oh, yes. Yeah. So, do you find that sometimes these these crop circle people they just they just really underestimate what you know what humans can do? Yeah, definitely. I think some of it comes from ignorance. I think also some of it they don't want to believe it. Um, they'll you know they'll run with the argument. Well, some of these formations, you know, they're appearing in four or five hours. And I think there was one two thousand and one. I think it was at Milk Hill. Uh, near Alton Barnes, I think there were 409, 410 circles in it. And I've spoken to about two, three circle makers who were involved with that. Well, can you edit that out? Sorry. Right. <laughs> Sorry. So I just chopped them in it. <laughs> I've spoken to two or three circle makers uh, who may or may not have been involved with the formation that appeared at Milk Hill in Wiltshire in 2001. And I think there's about 409, 410 circles in that. Um, they've put differing time ratios on it from about four to six hours, but all of these would have been possible on a summer night in Wiltshire. Okay. And the crappies, I mean, you must sort of say to them, like, well, they keep making these circles, um, you know what? What of it? Like, what are the, what are they trying to? What are the UFO people trying to accomplish? Like, what is their? Why do they just keep making these circles? Like, what what do they think they're trying to do? The space aliens. They're trying to give us messages. Uh-huh. They're trying to give us warnings. The formation that appeared um, in Gloucestershire that I went to see that was basically it was lots and lots and lots of circles which eventually started to cross. 
and they came from two central points. And somebody looked at it and said, oh, there's two sets of waveforms there which are out of synchronisation. And just across the water, across the River Severn, is Oldbury Nuclear Power Station. So some of them have seen it as a warning that the power station is going to melt down. <laughs> yeah, it's not to start a panic or anything, right? No, I'm, I'm a bit worried, especially if the wind's blowing in a northerly direction, then I'm going to be... I'm going to be frazzled, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Glowing yellow. <laughs> All right. And, uh, I mean, I mean, people, I mean, again, hoaxers would probably be going, oh, they know the crappies are going to be looking for messages. So they, you know, the, the hoaxers will at probably at times try to embed a message like, you know, pie or something like that into the, have there been any cases where it appears like a, you know, an actual hoaxer has tried to embed a, a a message into his crop circle? Oh, yes, there have been lots and lots and lots of examples. Uh, there's one this year. I think the best one ever was a formation of, which appeared. Uh, there were two circles, and in the middle there were lots of lines. And then somebody noticed that if you applied the lines to be the bottom half of letters, capital letters, then it spelt out a message for a crop, uh, crop circle researcher called Dr. Terence Meaden, which okay. was Meaden Talks Shit. Needham <laughs> was the chap who came up with the idea that it was a plasma, that it was a plasma vortex uh, causing most crop circles. So I, I would in bed like a so long and thanks for all the wonder bread or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Man, so um, the thing is, there, though, if they see if the crop is see a formation like that, they will immediately dismiss it as man-made. Okay. It's only when it's got something like pi in it or some other mathematical theorem that they'll think, hey, that's genuine. Or some kind of like spiritual message or something yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah. So like, like a lot of the, you know, the people, the abductees, you know, they always sort of come back from what, you know, their time aboard a UFO and, and, you know, they never have the cure for cancer or, you know, some mathematical proof that it's going to take a century to solve. They always have some sort of very touchy-feely message. Like, I've been chosen to spread the message of, you know, this you know, this decade, it's the environmentalism, or, you know, the decade before, it might be stop nuclear weapons, and things like that. So, uh, you know, do the, do the crappies, do they also sort of find the sort of very touchy-feely messages in crop circles? Yeah, but I think most of the time, they're just finding what they're looking for. Okay. Each of them tend to give their own sort of take on symbolism. Um, Andrew Perker, I mentioned earlier on, chap who lives near me, he's very much into his biblical prophecies and uh. his 2012 theories as well. <laughs> but, but it seems to be that like a lot of sort of hardcore Christians, you know, end-time Christians who read a lot in biblical prophecy, they're, they're actually quite against the whole 2012 thing because, you know, because that's no... That, it's nowhere in the Bible that the world's going to end in 2012. So it's weird that this guy is sort of merging the two. Yeah, I, he seems very tied up in the whole sort of New Age mysticism thing, though. No. And so there's not really a, a Christian slant to it as such. I think he sees them as all as different kinds of spirituality, and he likes to bring them together under the umbrella of there being a wider protector from another planet who's out to look after us. So these do these different uh, are there different sort of factions in the crop circle the croppies like do they ever come to blows or um, not that I'm aware of but 
if you read certain forums, uh, I've mentioned Crop Circle Connector, which has become a lot more sceptical as of late. Uh, there are some other forums as well where they will debate the meanings of crop circles. Uh, I won't even waste my time naming those things, to be honest, <laughs> because they're really not worth looking at. And they do argue about it. They do bicker about it. And if you go to a place like the Silent Circle Cafe, you will see them in there and they'll be debating their own theories on it. I think because Meaden's plasma vortex thing was essentially blown away by the wind um, with that formation I mentioned, that it is ET now or nothing really. And because we haven't got a lot of Christian fundamentalism in Britain, there doesn't seem to be the idea that crop circles are evil or the work of the devil. So little green men seem to be the big thing at the moment. Many years ago, I sort of saw on TV, there was sort of almost like a, like, a, like a skeptical story about crop circles. And, and what they did is, uh, you know, they, they sort of went out and made a crop circle, you know, filmed it and stuff like that. And then at the time, like kind of one of the leading crop circle, you know, croppies, they, they sort of let him kind of on his own, I guess, sort of discover this crop circle. And they have video of him sort of trudging through the crop circle and him going, oh, this is real, this is real, this is real. And then, you know, then they show him the video of them it being made. And and uh, and he's like, oh, yeah. Uh, have you heard about this this, uh, this sort of debunking? Yes. Was this Pat Delgado by any chance? Oh, you know, I, I, I'm just sort of talking off the top of my head, but... I just sort of wondered. I, you know, I'm sure that sort of didn't make him go, well, I guess I can be fooled. You know, maybe I should go back to the drawing board. I'm, I'm just wondering if you if 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 heard about that and if he, you know, what, what his eventual rationalization was. Um, not being too familiar with, okay. you know, the actual event. I mean, I suspect it might be Pat Delgado. We did have um, – a case in Britain, I think it was 1991 or 1992, there was something called Operation Blackbird, um, in which croppy Colin Andrews, he's like the big name in seriology, okay. he's like the big global name, and that he worked with the British Army to set up monitoring on top of a hill <laughs> in Wiltshire, and they had cameras trained down, basically they wanted to capture a formation being made. Um, they caught some light on it, and I thought, oh, 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 and as the moment sort of unfolded and as the hours passed by, the lights started to move. And also they began to see a formation mm-hmm. gradually appear in the field. And when daylight came, they rushed down there and they found a pretty rough looking pattern. And in the centre of the two circles in it were Ouija boards. <laughs> so, Obvious hopes, but before he'd gone down there, he'd been speaking to the media, telling them that was a big event which had taken place and that he was going to have evidence of crop circles being made, and only for it all to be blown away. Poor Colin. Oh, oh dear. All right. Now, is there any, uh, like, I mean, any sort of kind of kooky conspiracy behind these things? Like, what do the what do the crop circles, you know, think is sort of going on? Because obviously, you know, the government the government's really not taking this seriously, so. So what's uh, there, there has to be a conspiracy. Well, the conspiracy is that apparently the British government and the CIA are taking them very seriously. And we've had a whole string of allegations in Britain that certain circle makers are actually part of the conspiracy and that they're working for the government. Oh, and right also okay. that seriologists have been paid off by the CIA. <laughs> Because, what's their evidence that they've been paid off by the CIA that they don't, you know, they don't tout somebody's particular 
view of well, crop circles or the usual anecdotes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, I always felt it. You kind of did a kind of a talk about that sort of where the uh, you know the the huge amount of paranoia in kind of UFO, UFO circles where you know at one moment one guy's you know the darling of the UFO people and then a, a year later he's you know he's clearly a disinfo agent sent by the uh, you know by the CIA or something like that. Yeah, I mean, in this regard, there are three sort of main people to look at. Uh, there's Tim Matthews, there's Colin Andrews, and there's also John Lundberg. Um, probably best to start with Tim, because he was a very interesting fellow. When he was younger, he was involved in the British National Party, which is the politically near enough acceptable faith of the far right in Britain. Um he ended up working undercover for Searchlight magazine, which is an anti-Nazi magazine. And it was alleged that he stirred up a race riot in Dewsbury in Yorkshire, um, basically to get some people in the BNP arrested. And, and from there, Tim disappeared and he went into hiding. And he came back a few years later, reinvented as a ufologist. Um, he wrote a book about Nazi technology and its relationship to UFOs. And once his past in the BNP had been exposed, there was absolute outrage amongst the UFO community in Britain. And a lot of the big names in it didn't want anything to do with him. So Tim published his book and then he disappeared. But then he re-emerged again as well as a crop circle maker. And when we published our episode with Tim last year. Um, I got a few interesting emails from people really? who really weren't too happy <laughs> that we'd interviewed him. And one of them pointed me in the direction of Tim's involvement in another case known as the Gandalf case. And this is around from the time he was working for Searchlight. And it turned out not only had he infiltrated the BNP, he'd also infiltrated the Green Anarchy movement. Um, if you're not familiar with Green Anarchy, this is the idea that humanity needs to return back to its primitive roots. Right. So out, out goes electricity, out goes the dishwasher, out goes gas heating, and we're living in trees or in huts. <laughs> But at the same time, in green anarchy... That, that's, that's, that sounds sustainable. Yeah, it yeah. is sustainable. Okay. Sorry, go but, ahead. But talking of sustainability, Tim had also gone into the animal liberation front as well and was apparently feeding back information on them as well, which resulted in a trial called the Gandalf trial. Okay. Uh, nobody was prosecuted in it. And I was actually quite surprised. And this email said to me, well, this is proof that Tim Matthews is a government agent. He's working for MI5 and he's out to discredit as many extreme political movements as he can. And he's making circles now to discredit seriologists. Now, me being me, I thought, OK, if I was an MI5 agent, I would think my handlers would want me to work in one place and one place only. Because if I'm going in the BNP and also Green Anarchy, which are two, mo two movements which are completely diametrically opposed to each other. It, it's, a bit, it's a bit running close to the edge there, isn't it? Uh -huh. You're going to get yourself in a lot of trouble. So I think probably this is something Tim wanted to do off his back. Right. And, and so in this email, Tim, he's bad news. He's out to discredit seriologists. And so I sent an email back to this person, and I never had anything back. 
Uh-huh. And it turns out this email address was actually anonymous. <laughs> so quite who sent that to me, I don't know. I've, I've got some ideas. All right. But I don't know. Wow. And so there were, there were a couple other people who, who were the other... Who were the yeah, other... John, John Lundberg, he is the circle maker that I've mentioned. Okay. And there's a chap, Charp, called Richard Hall. <laughs> who runs a website called richplanet.net. And Mr. Hall published a documentary called Crop Circles, The Hidden Truth. And in that, he alleged that the circle maker, John Lundberg, was recruited by MI5 in 1992. Okay. And he's a close associate of John Ronson. Ah, yes. And he runs John's website for him. Okay. And... The allegations which have been thrown at John Lundberg are that uh, basically he deliberately made the most complex formations, uh, such as the ones which have appeared this year in Warminster and at Milk Hill. And some of them are absolutely fantastic. There's a lot of cubes in this year, uh, formations. Hmm. I saw one a few weeks back in Fosbury and Wiltshire, which was a hypercube, so a cube inside a cube inside mm-hmm. a cube. Absolutely fantastic. And the idea would be that he's made it, and he's made it deliberately complex to throw the croppies off the scent, the more simple formations, which are containing these hidden messages. <laughs> and John's a really controversial character. Um, the author, Henry Hemming, looked at him in a book about eccentric Englishmen. <laughs> and Henry went along with him to make a crop circle and John said to him that he really believed that if they could there would be some croppies that would be out there to kill him. Uh oh. Just simply because he's just such a controversial figure within the movement and that John's also been involved with things like Discovery Channel. He has made a lot of formations. Again, I mentioned earlier that he will make them commercially as well. So they see him as a disinformation agent, somebody who's clever, he's an artist, and he's just deliberately out of the bunk. Um, From another angle, we've got Colin Andrews. And Colin is the croppie who alleges that he was approached by the CIA um, in which they wanted to pay him off. Uh, he was approached, apparently, by a man who liked to study foxes. <laughs> <laughs> he was known as the Fox Study Man. It's a bit like Cancer Man from the X-Files, isn't it? Right, okay, right, yeah. And Fox Study Man approached Colin Andrews. I quote Colin Andrews here. Now, Colin Andrews, Colin Andrews, now. It was very English, wasn't it? Colin Andrews. Mm-hmm. And Colin says, I was just doing my thing. And at some point in the near future, I'll be asked to do one interview which should enjoy maximum saturated media coverage. So, Fox Study Man is promising the world here to Colin Andrews. And during the course of this interview, I was to make one statement and one statement only. They wanted me to state publicly that that the crop circle phenomenon was a hoax. When we got back to my home, he said he would show me how to say it and what to say. In return for this, I was offered a bank account in Switzerland in which would be enough money that I'd never need even to think about money ever again. On top of this, he said they were in possession of some kind of instrument which they would send to me within two weeks. He said that this instrument would allow me to identify immediately a real crop (laughs) Something that presumably could measure some or other microwave residue or some other residual effect. He told me, you will then be in a privileged position and we'll put you right out there as a number one crop circle expert. 
And Colin, hearing this, he went home and he got a bit upset. And he started crying in front of his daughter. And he said, God, no one will ever know how I felt that night. I was terrified. I even cried. I was completely and utterly bloody freaked. I broke down when I was talking to my daughter. I said to her, darling, I want you to forget everything I've ever told you about crop circles. I think I'm in terrible trouble. You know, I'm in bloody trouble. Of course, she didn't know what I was talking about, but I just wanted my family out of it. It took everything I knew to get over that ordeal and carry on a relatively normal life. And the interviewer said, at this point, Colin took a few moments to himself. <laughs> it was obvious that the ordeal had affected him very deeply indeed, that the memory was as painful as the ordeal itself. After a short while later, we resumed. You know Alex Akiris at the end of his podcast where he puts a few comments? Right, yes. yes. Uh, Skep- Skep- bit- Skeptico, host of Skeptico. Yeah. Right. Which, 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 if people are not familiar with Skeptico, don't be fooled. Don't think it's a skeptical podcast. It's kind of a bit of a true believer podcast. You think of another word there, Carl? Starts with W, ends in O, and it's got an O in the middle? Oh, uh, true believer. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, when he had John Ronson on the show, he, he did put a bit of a postscript at the end of interview I thought it was a bit disingenuous and the person who conducted this interview uh, with Colin Andrews somebody called Michael Irving Okay. he's done his own version on them yeah on Colin Andrews and he's put in his postscript they got to him Colin Andrews was taken out of the crop pattern scene all of us in the Wiltshire area of southern England knew that ET was making the original crop patterns and at the end of the 1980s even though Colin was being very scientifically cautious we knew that he too and we were just waiting for him to reveal the world to, sorry and we were just waiting for him to reveal to the world the immediate presence of ET in and around the earth everywhere they must have found some way to get to Colin <laughs> In the mid-1990s, it was revealed that he suddenly started working for a Rockefeller Foundation, hadn't been given a vast fund or salary. So, this is Colin. He's gone away from the ET hypothesis as heavily as before, and now they don't understand it, and so they've obviously got to him as well. Right, yes, okay. The government don't want us to know, Carl. They don't want us to know. (laughs) So, now, now these people are, are, these people make circles. These are sort of people who are make out there making circles. But but it seems to me that these people are almost as wacky as the people who believe in, in, in crop circles who think they're you know made by UFOs. Is 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 is, is, is that what you're saying? Uh, no Colin's a seriologist. Colin Andrews is a researcher. He's okay. a croppy. Okay. Whereas John John Lundberg still makes them and Tim Matthews is retired as far as I know. Okay. All right. It has often been said, and I mentioned Henry Hemming earlier, I've mentioned a lot of things, and I've said I mentioned earlier an awful lot in this interview, so I'll try not to say it again. It's like on the podcast where we're accused of saying actually an awful lot. I think it's the local dialect that's doing it for me. Henry Hemming said that making crop circles was a sign of the eccentric. So, yeah, maybe a bit wacky, but I think you take people like John Lundberg, and I think they're very, very clever and that what they're creating is artwork and I think even people that are doing it for wind-up that have got more knowledge of crop circle history and its association with the whole UFO phenomenon they're quite savvy as well and that they're being very careful with their wind-ups they know what the believers want and they try and give it to them right, yeah 
we, when uh when I was at Tam, I met this guy, and um, he uh he had kind of a a friend who was in the Air Force, kind of you know kind of a not a good friend, but this this guy was sort of always writing forged checks and bad checks and stuff like that and and you know because he was sort of you know in the air force and i think he kind of had a bit of a skill that they that the air force needed the uh you know the, a lot of times the air force would sort of come and go look we'll we'll take care of him so so he kind of got away with these things a couple times by by the second or third time he did it finally you know the base commander sort of came down and said you know you're you're out you're just you know <laughs> we, you know we gave you a couple chances you're 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 gone out of the air force uh police just take him away so uh anyway a few years go by and uh you know my my the, the guy I met at tam he's um he's in a pub and the pub's kind of having a bit of a woo night or something and there's this you know check writing friend you know at a little table with his like little self-published book or something about how he was uh you know he was kicked out of the air force for asking too many questions about area 51 that was his you know that was his story <laughs> And so then the guy sees you know sees him and he's like, um, "You're not going to say anything, are you?" Because he knows the true story why he was kicked out of the air force. But yeah, uh, I'm not sure what that has to do with your crop circles. But you know, you know, I mean, people do. You know, don't take people's stories at face value. There can always be something. <laughs> That's very true. And also, being English, I think we love a bit of a wind up sometimes. Oh, for like the sure. humor of the situation. Oh, for sure. Wow. All right. Um, let's see. Anything else about crop circles? Uh, do you think we kind of covered it all, or is there anything else you want to you want to add about the? No, well, we pretty much covered it all the crop circles. I think. Okay. Cool. That's some serious crazy shit. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Okay. All right. So uh, let's see. Um, Tr- Tristan, are you going to be? You're not going to be at Tam London, are you? Uh, Marsh will definitely be there. Oh, very nice. I, okay. I may be there. It depends whether my press pass comes through or not. Ah, okay. We'll see. Well, that'd be, yeah, be kind of cool if you, you had a couple uh, uh, um Nigel St. Whitehall, he calls you in, indignants. Yeah. yeah. However, we will definitely be at two conferences over the summer, which we're going to be doing a bit of skeptical outreach at. Good. The first is called Weird Weekend and is in the southern county of Devon, and it's a cryptozoological conference. So lots of things about big cats and monsters, uh, very strange things like that. I went last year, which was absolutely fantastic, and so I'm hoping this year will be as good as well. And also, Hayley will be with me at the Weird Pen conference which is at Warminster in Wiltshire. Do they both use weird in the title? Are they related? Or it's just kind of a popular... It's just a a weird coincidence, really. (laughs) All right. And so Weird weird 10. um, I like Haley. She was at Weird... Like Weirdo. I like Weirdo. Weirdo (laughs) 9. See, that was always a good one. Now it's Weird 10. It's like just doesn't... Not as funny anymore, but uh, so weird ten. So Haley was at Weirdo Nine. Were, were you at Weirdo Nine or, or? I was there on the Sunday, okay. the second day of it because it's a two-day event. Okay, but I should be there for the whole weekend. Okay. This year. What what kind of talk are you going to be doing for? for oh, weird... we're not we're not doing a talk. We've oh. got a stool there. A stool. <laughs> <laughs> a stool, not a stool. It's not a very big venue, is it? It's, a, it's not like the South Point Casino or something. It's got a little broom closet and we've got to get three vendors in there so 
Well, it's in an old theatre. Okay. Weird weekend, even better. It's in a community centre. Oh. <laughs> in oh. the middle of nowhere. Now, uh, let me ask you for, uh, you know, for sort of armchair skeptics such as myself who maybe want to sort of get out there and do kind of more uh, outreach kind of stuff. Like, how, how, what's your advice? How could somebody kind of get started in that? Like, especially if they wanted to go into, like, kind of the, the, the woo camp or something, which you guys kind of sometimes gird your loins and do. Like, what? Any, any advice? I think you've got to go in with a sympathetic head on. Okay. Myself and Haley, we were both very much believers when we were younger. And I became sceptical through being exposed to different people on various online forums, some of whom were quite rude to me, mm-hmm. but they put the seed of diet into my head. Um, but it was the people that were more polite that I sat down really and took notice of. Okay. Uh, about all sorts of weird and wonderful things like birdmen and UFOs and ghosts and things like that. And what I try to do when I go and talk to a belief-based group. I mean, favourite example of mine was a talk I did from my local astrology society on the county's folklore. And it was quite challenging for a lot of people, but I think they appreciated the fact I didn't go in and say, this definitely happened, that definitely happened, this definitely happened, that definitely happened, and fuck the rest of you. I went in there where I just put the information out for them in a Joe Rogan style. Okay. I'm, just a, I'm just a small man putting the information out there. And at the end of it, I said, yeah, this is my belief in it and why this is my belief in it. And I looked a little bit at logic. I didn't go too much into the science of it because as soon as you start talking science mm. and believer, they quite often they will shut off because I used to do the same. So okay. maybe I'm guilty of judging people by my own standards there. And a few people did come up to me afterwards. They wanted to know more about logic. They wanted to know more about the scientific method. And I know that some of them have gone on to become a lot more sceptical in their approach. And I think, you know, even if you just make one more person, even if they don't ditch all of their beliefs, but if they just start to think about things more sceptically, I think with time that will grow and that will grow and that will grow. And if we just make one person to the podcast and to the outreach work that we do become more sceptical, then I think we've won. I think we've achieved something. Yeah, it's like when I was in university and I was studying psychology, you know, you, you have to do a lot of sort of, you know, journal work and stuff like that. And I find all these sort of uh, parapsychology journals and, you know, next to the psychology journals. And I start looking through these and I just see all the all these experiments. I'm like, wow, well, you know, wow, there must be something really to this, you know. And um, so, you know, I kind of began to be a bit of a believer. And then they, and then they, right next to the parapsychology journals, they file uh, uh, Skeptical Inquirer, and, uh, which then I sort of start reading. And I'm like, oh, oh okay, I get it. I, you know, so yeah, so sometimes, sometimes if people are only exposed to, you know, in search of and pretty much everything that's on Discovery and History Channel these days, if they're only kind of exposed to that and not exposed to kind of, you know, well, you know, here's another explanation that then, you know, th- then they may seem like true believers, but there may be kind of a, you know, just a, a, a great number of people who who are not, um, who, you know, who just have not been exposed to the other side. They just think this is this is the story. That's very true, and I think scepticism, certainly in Britain, seems to be doing a very good job at the moment of tearing itself apart <laughs> in the way that we speak to people who aren't sceptics. And there seems to be one school of thought that we're all being rude to them, whereas I 
you know, again, I sort of join in with the tearing apart, really, here, that I just think it pays to consider that someone's ignorance might not be through complete choice to neglect all the other information out there. Right. It could just be that they've not been exposed to the proper information. Exactly. I think back when I used to believe in ghosts, you know, I didn't have any idea as to the psychology which probably lies behind a lot of them. And it's only when I was pointed in the right direction that I took the time to do the digging, took the time to do the research and enlighten myself, really. Right. Well, I was going to say, um, you know, at, 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 at TAM, one of, the big, one of the big topics was sort of like, you know, be kind of be nicer, which was sort of encapsulated by Phil Plate's speech where he's like, you know, don't, don't be a dick. And then, uh, you know, his sort of point is that, you know, have you ever, have you ever changed your mind, you know, by, you know, someone shouting at you and calling you an idiot and, uh, which then, um, Paul Pervenza in his talk, he sort of commented like, uh, you know, have you ever met Penn Jillette? You know, where, you know, <laughs> I mean, Penn Jillette sometimes changes people's mind by calling you, you know, an idiot. So, uh, which is sort of recalling your point that, you know, that when you were in a bit more of a true believer mode, you know, that sometimes people were kind of a dick to you, but, you know, yeah. it, 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 it may not have been the thing that sort of, so, so, if someone's a dick to you, sometimes you'll be like, "I really got to prove you wrong," you know. And then, yeah, yeah. And if that sort of motivates you, and you you kind of realized, you know what, I I can't prove you wrong. It it's you know, you, you, it's a little bit of bile comes up into your mouth. But I don't know. It's how you handle that moment, though, when you realize you can't prove them wrong. Do you suddenly become more entrenched with true believer syndrome, or do you do what I did and what Haley's done? And then look at things from a different angle. Right, yeah. yeah I, I, I can see, though, there is a school of thought that there is a place for both you know, the metaphorical skeptical bullet and the metaphorical skeptical ballot box as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, you know, the good cop, bad cop approach, ultimately. Yeah. So, <laughs> I don't know. All right, Tristan, well, let me, let me ask you the final question. Uh, what is your favorite small kitchen appliance? Now, I've thought long and hard about this. Good. When I, when I was about 16 or 17, I went through a really evil streak in my life. And that I was interested in things which had the potential for violence. Uh-oh. And there used to be a child in my year at school that I really did not like. And I don't think Freud's listening, is he? No. But he's long dead, isn't he? Just confirm for me. <laughs> and that I thought, how could I torture this individual? You weren't expecting this, were you? No, no, but I like where it's going. <laughs> <laughs> and I had different schools of thought there. First of all, I was drawn towards potato peeler. Yes. And that you could maybe like take a few skin grafts off and put them <laughs> elsewhere on their body and rub a bit of salt into the wound. Um, then I turned towards the apple corer. Ah. And I thought, yeah, you could do some good damage with that, a few puncture wounds. But since those days, the one item that struck, you know, the one item that stuck with me, and which I appreciate for its power to help me make pasta sauce, is the blender. Okay, what, what, what kind of, oh, oh like, like your little sort of stand-up? Yeah, the one with the blade in the bottom that spins ah. round and round. I liked it just for the idea of putting somebody's hand in it and watching the bone <laughs> and flesh go flying. 
I've since learned to use it for a lot more, more peaceful purposes. No, right. what, what do you use your blender for other than making like margaritas? Um, damaging my child. Damaging. <laughs> uh, no, I wouldn't do that. Better. Um, yeah, pasta sauce and making fruit smoothies as well. Okay, good. All right, so the blender. All right, and uh, let's see. Um, so, what, what's uh, your podcast? What, what's what's the what's the Earl to your podcast? The Earl. The Earl. Sorry, let's see. I, I always say Earl. Sometimes people don't recognize that as being you know the URL. I realize that at work, like like there's a certain generation, you know, the younger people don't recognize Earl anymore to refer to the URL. What's the URL to your website, to your podcast? The layperson in England says web address. Oh, all right, okay. Be your web address. Okay. They don't our say they don't say they don't say webby or something sort of short and cute. No. Uh. Uh, we're not that advanced over here. All right. Not especially out in the sticks, out in the country. They're not that clever. Okay. It is ripodcast.co.uk. Ripodcast.co.uk. Okay. And uh, you, are you involved in some, What's the bad psychics thing you seem to be involved in? Bad psychics, um, they were the website we were associated with for a while. Okay. Um, it's a website which was run by a chap called John Donis. Who also set up a podcast recently called Badcast, but just this week the two have bitten the dust. They've gone. I think there's a, a few political reasons for it. Oh, but he, the, the, the founder's still alive, though. He's still alive. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Alive. Right. As far as I know. However, he did upset a few people. So oh dear. Mm. Maybe they got him and silenced him. Okay. All right. Find his body in a crop circle. All right. Any anything interesting coming up on uh, your your righteous indignation uh, podcast? Uh, we have recently interviewed some fantastic people, including Ben Radford of Skeptical Inquirer. Um, on the horizon, we have an interview with Mr. Paul Rowland, and Paul is a gentleman who believes that if you fire light beams into space with audio waves on the back of them that you will be able to initiate contact with extraterrestrials very interesting all right, right. and uh you know one thing i like about your show is you're, you're always mentioning british comedians and, oh, yeah. and which which i'm like who are these people like you know sometimes like british tv stars or movie stars or singers or things like that we know about but it's just very interesting that like british comedians are almost unknown beyond the shores of britain just just you know little just, just a little neither here nor there but you know it would help for your, you know, your foreign listeners if you sort of put it in context. Like you just mention these people, and you'd be like, and you'd be like, "Oh, he's so funny, and he's so wonderful." And, and I'm thinking, who is that guy? You're know. talking about Marsh, aren't you? He's always referencing. All right, okay, yeah, that, it could be, it could be Marsh. Yes, all right. Yeah, we had Ed Byrne on the show as well. And sure, there's one. Of, there's one of those guys. I'm like, who? And you're all really excited about this guy, and I'm like, who? Can't Tim, be honest with you. I, yeah. I did. I didn't know who he was until afterwards. When I sort of did a bit of digging afterwards, I finally realised who he was. He's on a programme called Mock the Week, which is a sort of news and political satire show. All right. uh, Which is quite popular over here. I think it's on BBC Two at some obscene time, but it is very popular. 
All right, well, Tristan, I should I should let you go. Oh, I, I, sorry, I got to I got to give a couple shout outs to people I met at Tam. Tam Tam was quite quite enjoyable, but uh, some listeners I met I mentioned Daniel Daniel from Alberta. He was kind of cool guy. He he bought me a drink. So there you go. That was pretty good. What did he buy you? Uh, it was like a beer. Uh, it was a Mexican beer. Uh, Mexican yeah. beer. Yeah, I don't a, think I've ever had a Mexican beer. Yeah, it was okay, but it was, it was much appreciated. Thank you, Daniel. And then I met a guy, uh, Michael. He was a, another Canadian. He's from uh, Etobicoke. And uh, and then there was, uh, uh, was Her- Harold from Nantucket. Harold was a pretty cool guy. And uh, so there's so, so three, at least three listeners I, I met at, at TAM, and they all sort of greeted me with, I thought you'd be taller. So that, that was quite, that was quite <laughs> enjoyable. Yeah. All right. So, uh, <laughs> hey guys, let's do it again next year. <laughs> <laughs> you sound really honest there. What's that? <laughs> <laughs> you sound really, huh? <laughs> oh, well, I've got to do this. <laughs> no, do no, this. no, no, no. It was nice to meet these people. All right, Tristan. Okay, well, have, have an enjoyable uh, Sunday afternoon there. Yeah, with the mother-in-law. Okay, yes, who you love dearly. I do, of course. Yeah, she loves you. Yeah, she does. Okay, take care. Say hi to Haley. Say say hi to Haley for me. I will. I always say hi to her from you anyway, even when I haven't spoken to you. Well, that's good. Do you kind of make like little googly eyes for me? Yeah, when I see her in a few weeks at um, one of the conferences, I'll I'll smile at her. And do your best googly eyes. Best googly eyes. Yeah. You probably think I'm going to punch you if I do that. That's true. Okay, don't do that then. <laughs> All right. Talk to you later, Tristan. Thanks, Carl. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.